Champaign, Illinois native Emily Harrington coming to you from Kitchen Table Studios in the ever-evolving, sometimes boring, flatlands of Champaign-Urbana for the next podcast episode of Hyperlocals, where townies and transplants share their tales of tears and triumphs, losses and wins, so stay tuned to catch the characters behind the beloved Twin Cities of CU. Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the next Hyper Locals podcast. Today, I have brought in a duo, a couple. So we're a threesome here at my kitchen table, and they are my neighbors across the street. And I've always been intrigued by them, and I find them fascinating. And when I asked them to come, they said, well, we're not interesting, which I couldn't believe because their accents alone make them fascinating to me. So we have Tamsin Gilbert and Philip Calancis Cope, and I'm going to ask them if I pronounced that correctly. You do. Yes. You do. All right. Okay. Hi, guys. How you doing? Good. Philip, how are you? Very good. Very okay. Good. Are you feeling nervous, excited? I'm a little nervous. I'm going to try not to say any swear words. You know, part of the anything. challenge is to know what your partner is going to say. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Of course. Yes, yes, yes. Could this cause conflict? You know, sure. what is the narrative we've established? Right. Yeah, yeah you... we should have had a, a pre-recording meeting. <laughs> yeah. Will you be in the doghouse tonight? Will someone be sleeping on the couch? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, I think we're going to make it through. Yeah, okay. yeah. And when Tamison when we were just talking before we started pressing record, I was asking why her last name is Gilbert and Phillips is a hyphen it. And so tell me why you chose to stick with Gilbert. Well, this is actually something I get asked a lot. Tamsin is obviously an unusual name and Calancis Cope is an unusual name. Hey, watch out. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not going to, you know, at the very basic level, I'm not going to combine two unusual names to really confuse people. But also both of us came from families where our mothers didn't change their surnames. Um, So I don't think we even discussed that I would change my name. Or was it ever assumed? I don't know. There are when times. we started having kids, we were like, oh, maybe I should have, because then we would all have the same sure, surname. Sure, paperwork alone. Yeah. But then filling out the paperwork for them is kind of tricky anyway, because there's never enough boxes for the surname. <laughs> so I don't know. I feel like I had this name my whole life. So yeah, I'll just stick with it. And it is a good uh, balance of an unusual name and a more And then he's name. got like a common first name and an unusual surname, so it kind of balances out. But you're Phil with two L's. Correct. Is that a choice of yours? The Greek tradition is to be named after your grandparents. And so my grandmother's name was Phyllis. Okay. And so I was named Phyllis in part for her. Mum says she always liked the sounds when she saw me. She she says that she likes the way that like the two L's in the middle oh, kind of like looped around and he seemed like it seemed gentle to her and he said oh. he was like a gentle baby or something. It oh, was something like sweet. that, right? Yes, well, you know, <laughs> everyone is mistaken. And then you named William your son and we've got the same thing going on. With yeah, your but L's. William's named after Phil's dad. So then we have Bill. And then Phil. Okay. And then William. And William is, we've just called him William because 
I can't have Bill, Phil, and Will. Oh, my gosh. No one will ever answer me properly. Yes, I understand. I'm already calling the kids the dog's name and Andrew the kid's name, so I understand that. Where are you both from? You go first. Well, uh, I'm from Australia. You were born in Australia? No. No. no okay. No, okay. No, no, no. So The plot thickens. The plot thickens. So, yeah, so um, I was born in Greece, and my dad's family came on the first fleet, so they've been there oh my gosh. since the first white settlement. The first fleet's like the Mayflower. Mother came to Australia when she was three or four years old with her family, and after 30 years, if somebody else claims your land or has worked your land, then they take ownership of that land. In Greece? Yeah. Okay. And so when she was... 30. Uh, she had two children at the time and my father was I think he was 25 or 26, something Jeez. crazily young. Uh, he fell in love with this woman and their children and they actually trekked most of the way with stops. So they went through India, they trekked through Nepal with the kids, a kind of a bonding thing and the end point was to be in Greece to reclaim these houses and uh, this land. At the time my parents were both PhD students too and they'd got Commonwealth fellowships to just to write yeah and so in the two years they were there to reclaim it and the house was nearly falling apart and there was snakes in the walls and it's like an animal shed shed. yeah and so the people in the village yeah and so they were happy for the for the house to be reclaimed and at the end of those years there I was born so your mom had children correct I have an older brother and sister that are 10 years older than me and then your dad falls in love with this single mom yes Okay, and they start this new life. Yes. And they go to this village. My mother's village in Greece, yes. With this dilapidated house. Yes. Photos are great. Yeah. (laughs) And they buy it? No, they just reclaim it because it's their house. um, Property goes through the women and Mary is the oldest daughter. And then after 30 years, if you don't go back, then it sort of becomes government land. Well, no, the person... The person who is working the land can claim it as their own if they work it for a certain amount of time. So it's not just a house. So we still have the house now. Wow. We have like a hundred olive trees and fields that are around the house. Who's living there now? Uh, It's waiting for us every year. We come every year. So we're kind of transhumous people pre-COVID. So we would spend like two months plus living in Greece. Okay. Most, I'm sort of jumping ahead down the line, but most of our work in summer is in Europe. And so we leave my parents and the kids at the house and we go back and forth, Tams and I, for the work that we have to do. But yeah, so going back to what you'd asked me, I was born in Greece. We left because it was just the timing of it when I was uh, seven days old. They were so worried about my soul being lost in purgatory that I was baptized at seven days old. My godfather and godmother were the priests of the village. And- Is this a Catholic? Greek Uh, Orthodox. Orthodox. Greek Orthodox. Okay. There's a Greek Orthodox church here in town. Yeah. By the, uh, my favorite car wash. And so then my dad bought the cheapest tickets he possibly could to get home. At seven days old. Yes. Is the house renovated at this point? They had had been there for two years and they had fixed it so it was livable. Renovated is a very generous term. Yeah, yeah. Like... It, it, it was a lovely village Bill, house. You Bill, know what I mean? Bill installed the first toilet in the in, in the village. Are we talking yeah. thatch roof? No, it's it's like a it's it's terracotta, but yes, it's, it's the rock house and wood. Is made yes, of rocks. yes. And so when he has an eye for design, look, you know, one of the things is that uh, he's you know he, he's built a lot of of our own houses. He's had an interest in architecture, both professionally and personally. Uh, we do work in 
the constructed environment sure. space in a theoretical kind of way. Um, but his real first house project to build A to Z was the Prairie Glass House, which sure. you have uh, been to. On North Lincoln Avenue in Champaign. But to finish the story, he yeah. buys this cheap ticket, Binman, Bangladesh, uh, and it goes Athens, uh, Dakar in Bangladesh, Bangkok, Sydney. And so they land in Dhaka in the middle of a coup. Like a political uprising. Yeah, with seven days old and mum with enough. With like a 10-year-old, yeah. a 12-year-old and a seven-day-old So baby. they were marched off the plane at uh, gunpoint. Explain what Dhaka is. Uh, Dhaka is the capital of Bangladesh. Okay. And so they are marched off the plane. With like and, military people. Yes, and sent to a hotel. And my dad, being the character that he is, gets everybody in a rickshaw. <laughs> It's like, we're going on a tour of Bangladesh. And they trade taking care of me. And um, yeah, so that was my first uh, plane trip, international journey. And then I was in Australia. And so I grew up in Australia. We grew up in Australia. And you leave this land. Over the years, when when, uh, we're in Australia, we used to go back at least every two or three years. uh, And we'd do a big family trip to do that, to maintain those connections. But since we've been in America, which is about 15 years now, we've spent at least two months there. And we got married there. Mm. Our, both our kids were baptized there. You know, we have a professional life in Greece as well. So, yeah. So America is closer to Greece than yeah. Australia is. And in Greece, did you plant olive trees? One of the big trips in the 80s that we did, so the late 80s, about 89, uh, we replanted a lot of trees. So the big grove that we have now, which is 100 trees, some could be up to 100 plus years old. Oh my uh, and some we have planted as well and so all of the olive oil that we eat that we use comes from our trees so you actually harvest these yeah well we don't ourselves we don't so someone does yeah Yeah. all oil pressing in all pressing communities happens in like once it's sort of like what i would think the corn situation is but i don't know so there's like one oil press in in the village and then people bring it in and they sell the bulk out of that right so the person who takes care of our land and our houses while we're not there Uh he harvests it he takes what he needs to pay uh, for it to cover those expenses and then he takes more and then he ships to us the other oil that we use for the year wow is this like mamma mia uh, it is primitive. What is what it sounds like. It is. It's like. a ru- like rural, not rural. It's a well, small village. There's been great change. So when my parents went in the 80s, mm-hmm. as uh, Tamsin said, there was no you know paved road to the village. There was no toilets in anyone's personal homes at the time. You know, it, it was a very rural area. Wow. Now there's uh, the train, the high speed train. Yeah. Well, because it's an hour and a half from Athens and it's on the water, mm-hmm. um, it's become a kind of tourist destination for Athenians particularly. Like the Hamptons. Yes, exactly. It's not like the extreme wealth of the Hamptons. No. It's a beach town. People have like weekend apartments on the beach now. His his house is not on the beach, but it's like up the hill. When you made this journey to Australia and started to settle in Australia, were you worried about the house in Greece? Someone taking ownership of it again? Well, no, no, uh, because these villages are kind of made of big families, right? Oh, sure. And so... My grandfather moved back soon after that. My um, grandparents were divorced, but he moved back. But no, once you've made the claim, then that's it. You know that what I mean? That's wild. Yeah, and then because we started re- Because they we, started, we started returning the every land. two or three years. Yeah. And this wasn't that concern. long ago. I mean, it's not like the pioneers settling. Uh, no, and so over the years, you know, we have 
add more layers to it, is that uh, <laughs> in the 60s there was a big earthquake, right? So where our house was is where the village used to be, right? And so when the earthquake happened, they a moved the village. A lot of people village. moved up in the town. But there were two or three other houses in our area that had kind of collapsed, like, sure. like in a little compound. And sure. so we've now rebuilt those. Wow. So, um, so yeah, so it's now a lovely little place that we spend a good part of our lives and we encourage... Not everyone, everyone on this podcast. But, <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah. You encourage visitors. Just let visitors. us know before yes. you come. But, okay, but, yeah. but, but. Truth of it is that we are Australian. You know, my dad's lived his whole life there. My uh, mum, since she was three years old, most of our family are there still. And uh, I started in Sydney. I uh, did my early, you know, like... Elementary school in, in Sydney. Sydney. Uh, and then we moved up to the far north in Townsville for about uh, six or seven years. Then Melbourne, where I finished high school. Is this an Australian accent you have? Yes. Well, right now, I think it's a kind of hybrid of a lot, you know, because, you know, my accent, I would say, is, is a... This would mean would mean nothing to you, but sure. it's a, like a Greek variant, a slight so, Greek variant of Australian. Americans have different Dialects. southern uh-huh. accent, you know, California or whatever. Australia New Yorker sounds like a New Yorker. Australians yeah. do too. So we have different Australian accents, I, I would say. Where does Tamison come into the picture in your life? I was finishing high school and my mother had employed Tamsin's my mum. They're so, both professors of education. Yeah, and so my mum was a was a dean of education of a place called the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology. Okay. A university, and then they so she employed Tamsin's mum. So they came over one day when I was in high school. To your house. Yes, with with and we like. They were like we big met, friends. I'm, I, but I'm younger than him, so yes. I must have been like how, and, fifteen. So fifteen and seventeen. Something like that. So then it's like, yeah, whatever. So we moved on. <laughs> so full hormones raging. No, nothing. Nothing. No, I was like, not I, even I an think, interest. I not even nothing a... of this fellow. No. Really? No, I, just, I didn't no. even remember. No. It was a high and a bye. No, no, probably not even a high no, Bill, or a high. I Bill, I remember like, Bill and you took us in the car to, with to mum to go look house. at different houses. Yeah. And I was like, you know, 15. I'm like, this is so boring. Oh my yeah. God. I don't yeah. care about and these And I was houses. forced to be like, hey, you must, whatever. You know, so, you must be friends with these people. So then a few years later. That is not how I would have seen this interaction going. Yeah. <laughs> I would have seen I always him. forget about that part, honestly. It's yeah. not like my, part of our. I even invited her the, to my 21st. She didn't come. No, you but her didn't. Parents came. No, you didn't her, invite her, me. Her, that's not true. Her he invited the like, family, family, and family. I'm sure it was on the list. Yep. So but that's, that's another not, few years. That first initial meeting that we had is not part of the story that we actually usually tell because it's not that relevant. It's not a love at first sight situation. Oh, no. I would have thought he would have talked your ear off no. and immediately started courting you. No. Uh, I don't know. I'm a bit standoffish and not particularly nice. You know, that first not true. That first set of interactions were, we were just said, you know, like, like you wouldn't even think that it would be something to think of. Mm-hmm. What happened is that our parents were at a conference in Greece and they had brought us a, a So like gen. he was with his parents yeah. at the conference and my sister and I were yeah. with my mum at the conference. It was our 18th birthday trip because Kyra and I had turned 18. So she was like, this is her twin. Yeah, that's my twin. Um, And so, but you must have been 21 by that point. So that's the first site. That's Uh what I'm trying to re-establish. So then we were at the conference in Greece, but we were both at university in Melbourne at the time. So then it was kind of like, well, when we're back in Melbourne, we should hang out more. Okay. 
So you're at college at the same place? Well, different university, same city. So you exchange phone numbers? Yeah, we must have on my pink flip phone. <laughs> yes, You know yes. those cool pink razors? Yes. And you must have th- thought, she's yeah. so cool with that pink razor. You know what? Things move swiftly. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we, we were both in these weird kinds of uh, spaces as well. Tams was finding the city. It's the first, like you know, I she had, just moved I there. I had only been there for a year. But really the kind of transformational thing is, for me, there, there was this, you know, of, of course I fell in love with Tamsin, you know what I mean? But I'm also about community and family. That's a big part of who I am. And our family has always been a big community kind of facing people. And uh, we also live together. I live with my grandmother, my father's mum. One thing to sort of clarify is that when people are at university in Australia, they don't like move out or go to college. Everyone lives with their parents too. Oh, wow. Still. Okay. So he was living with his parents and his Nana lived with them too. Yeah. And then I was living with my family. So this And is you are like... born and raised Australian. Well, my parents are both from Cornwall, which is in the south of England. Okay. And they had sort of like, well, my dad didn't, but my mum sort of had all over the place uh, childhood. But then... Um, after their undergrad degrees in England, they moved to Australia because my mum's dad, my grandfather, was working in Western Australia. Um, and then they both became teachers and they both, you know, moved on from there. But they're both English. I was born in Australia and I grew up in Australia. Is this an Australian accent? I consider my accent Australian, <laughs> but people keep telling me I sound English. But I think that might have been just because I've been in the United States for so long and I've lost my, like, Australian twang. See, so you guys sound the same to me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Do you hear that a lot? Uh, Actually, no. we don't. People usually think people usually think Phil sounds a lot more Australian. Yeah, they are. I don't know. The accent thing is weird because I always forget that I have an accent because we've been here for so long now, and then you still get every day people say, "Where are you from?" And yeah. you're like, "Oh, that's right. I don't sound like that." And also, we're coming up. I'm not that far off the amount of life I lived in Australia versus the amount of life I oh, lived here. Yeah. Right? Okay. So I was in Australia till I was twenty one and we've been here for fifteen years. You'd sure. think like so it's sort of a funny thing where you're like, well when I hit twenty one years here will I, you know, yeah. suddenly sound different? But no. Do you think we sound ridiculous? No. Because it's normal culturally it's normal for us. We hear American accents in T V shows. So we don't sound like uneducated fools. No. Phil's being quiet. <laughs> just depends where we are. <laughs> People say I have an accent, you know. Do you? I don't think I do. I think you got a little Minnesotan twang in there, no? That's interesting. People have said that. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, though. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. But I would. I, I like the southern accent myself. I, I, would, like a, I like a southern accent. It's charming. More charming than Minnesota, but it's okay. But also the thing about accents being charming, that's not something we culturally have, really. Oh, like see, I Australia, think you, oh, your voices are the best, so I think. So, pe- like, in Australia, no one says to, like, a Canadian that comes in, oh, wow, your accent's so charming. It's, like, not a cultural thing that people yep. sort of notice or care about. Wow. Oh, I just think they're the best. Okay, so we're at university, and you're starting to hang out. Yeah. Okay, and then what happens? We're falling in love? <laughs> well, you know, like, love is complicated. <laughs> uh, and so in those layers of complications, and you know, I wasn't always the most, you know, kind-hearted uh, human being. I, I don't 
don't. Th- I don't think I'm. A, I don't think I'm still in the most. Clear but in the <laughs> middle of it, so so we're so we're two years together, and then I went to grad school in Canberra. Because he's a few years older than me. Sure. Yeah. So and I think so, we must have been together for like a year and a half yeah. before yeah. you moved away. Yeah. And I went to Canberra, and so I went to. It's the capital of Australia's Canberra. Capital of Australia. I was doing a. Masters of International Relations and Diplomacy, and I thought I was going to work for foreign affairs. And at that time, my grandmother, she had fallen out of bed. And you know one of those things where you have these accidents and that... You're never the same yeah. at a certain age. Yeah, and so Tamsin was this young person, my and house, she didn't really... My house in Melbourne, where I lived, is like literally up the street from the hospital where Nana was, sorry, and on the way to university. So I could like stop on the way to uni to see Nana, his Nana, Aww. and like. Yeah, well, that's downplaying what I'm about to say, which oh. is that she was there a lot. Oh, you know what I mean? No, I was there on the way there and on the way back. Yes, yes, yeah, she, uh, <laughs> she was there a lot, and so you know, one of the things is that you know sometimes people idolise the romance part, and there's some practical hard work that goes into being a good partner, and you know, Tamsin showed all of that showed the grit showed the commitment to our family and that's really an important thing to me and so when I was in Canberra I then you know through this process I made the decision I was like this is the person you know yeah. <laughs> uh, this is it I did it the old-fashioned way I went and called her parents and met with her parents and talked to my parents all of them said don't do it not because of the not caring but no, like but we were pretty young like if it was Sophia we'd be like oh yeah. Sophia how old were you at this point? I was 21. 21, 20. And you must have been 23, 23 24. 24. Yeah. And, you know, they're people who, and you know, we were thinking about our careers. Really have any po- we had you know, career prospects. And so it's not that they didn't love Tamsin or uh, I don't know, vice versa, but it's not that they didn't love, right. <laughs> they didn't love Tamsin, but, you know, we did it all young. Yeah. Uh, and then we both applied to grad school here in the States. Is this after you're engaged, after you're married? It was during the whole... No, we didn't get married until... Two th- t- until so we got engaged. We were engaged for a, about three years, I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, we were applying to grad school around the same time that we got engaged. To do PhD programs. Both. Okay. No, masters. Me for masters, you for PhD. When you were visiting his grandma... Yeah. And he is off at school. Now it's a little bit long distance. Were you pining for him? Were you like... Good question. Yeah, I remember I was like, "Were you just, sad he was gone?" Yes, of course I was sad he was gone. But I was, I was also like, I almost felt like I was annoying you because you were studying, and I'd be like, "So let's Aww. talk about things for a really long time." <laughs> but I came up to visit you pretty yeah. often. Like yeah. I think we both saw each other like every weekend or every other weekend. It wasn't like we were yeah. not seeing each other. Yeah. Were you like Phil's the one? Yeah, I didn't even feel like Phil's the one. It just felt like it's sort of like it just fit. So it was like Aww. normal. Tamsin's a very practical person. I am pretty practical. And it also sounds like you kind of fell in love with his family a little bit. I love Phil's family, but I think it wouldn't work if I also didn't love Phil. That's true. That's true. That's the important part. But Phil's Nana was, she still beat me at Scrabble, even when she was in the hospital. All the way to the end. She let me eat her ice cream from her tray, even though that she really liked eating the ice cream, so... Yeah, but we also had, you know, similar desired pathways. Both of us wanted to come here. You know, we have, we're in different fields, but the things that we were doing, you know, some of the best stuff that was happening was in the States and particularly 
the places that we went to. So we applied to all different grad schools. Okay. Actually, this is, I probably proposed after this, right? You must have proposed yeah. after we got into grad school. So we applied to all these places all over the country. Are you doing this in unison? Yes. yes. But then we got in to both our first choices and the same place. Oh, wow. And so when that happened... Kind like, of like the puzzle probably, pieces came together. Truth of it is, probably if that didn't happen... It would have been really hard. It probably would have been over. Yeah. We would have been like, oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> so um, That was nice. Yeah. <laughs> so you both applied for your first choice. You both got in at your first choice. Yeah, we applied our to other places too, other places but too, our yeah. first preference we yeah. both got into. Yeah. So you get the letter, the acceptance letter. He got his got first. first. <laughs> and I was nervous. I was like, I'm not getting a letter. And Phil got into the new school and I'm not going to get in. And it's all downhill for me. <laughs> yeah. I think it must have only been a couple of weeks later yeah. that I got yeah. mine, but yeah. still yeah. I was yeah. nervous. Because not only might Phil go to a different place, but you didn't get your first choice if yeah. you didn't get in. We did actually, I think, like consider things like if you got into one place and I got into another, how we were going to work that out. But I think it was all very loose. But it must have been just because we were young and hopeful and yep. just thought everything was going to work out, and it did. And what's the school you both got into? The new school. Which is in? New York. New York. So the new school is the umbrella. Okay. But where I went to was the new school for social research. Okay. And in continental philosophy, that's like the number one place in the world. It's like people don't know a lot about it. But what also is at the new school was the Actors Studio, which is a, you know, which is a famous institution. It's got a, a very famous architecture school. Parsons School of Design, which is the fashion school there, is yeah. really well known. Sure. It's You know, remember that show, Project Runway? Sure. Tim Gunn. Yeah. He was the head of Parsons. He was the dean at uh, Parsons. So, you know. So it's a sort of a wild place where they have like a jazz school, a fashion school, but they're also really well known for philosophy, for politics. And so for me, uh, that's why I want to go there. There was a particular person that I want to work with. Hmm. I did my undergraduate in film studies and anthropology, which seems like a strange combination now, but really in film studies. And so I was interested in documentary film and the new school had a master's of media studies. It was half theory and half practice. So you actually had to go out and make movies and do media and make things, but you also had to theorize about it. And that's why... I wanted to go there at the time. Yeah, I probably didn't make as much of the opportunities as I should have. Well, I I can say the ways I did, but Tamsin really used a whole range of internship programs that were unique opportunities that were like a big reason why we wanted to come to the United States. Be in the city. Yeah, so you want to talk about some of those? Oh, yeah, so... um and we happened to be in the East Village, which was like right near the new school. But there's this place called Anthology Film Archives. Are you living together? Yes. yes. We so moved into a tiny the... little apartment. Tiny. Oh, it was like a it was the size of this room. room. Bus, and then yeah. our first apartment, you had to like go up a ladder to get into the bedroom, which was like above. And it had a cool deck off the side, but it was it was probably the size of this space. Do you remember your rent? Uh, yes. Yeah. What was? It? The first place was eighteen hundred. Are you kidding? But it me? ended at like two four. Two. But uh, when two, we moved in in two thousand and six, it was eighteen hundred a month. And then when uh, we left in two thousand and nine, it was two four. Um, it might have been less actually, Phil. We moved into two thousand and eight. Uh, at during the financial 
crisis, which was a great time oh. to find a new apartment in um, New York. And so we moved into a two-bedroom apartment. At that point, it was, you know, our parents, my parents helped out as well. And we were starting to work. You know, we have a family business. And so they were, and it's hard to work as an international student. So oh, I had sure. to try and find and a way complications to complications around working um, as an international student. Uh, make this work. Jeez. But then at the same time, you, you finished what you were doing. You know, how you're working at an- Anthology. Oh, Anthology was... So, Anthology Film Archives is, a, is an avant-garde film theatre that was, like, around the corner from our house. And there's, like, a huge history of avant-garde film in New York in the 60s. So, I interned for them, but then I also interned at MoMA in the film department, working with the documentary film curator there. Tamsin worked on a launch of a Robert Redford documentary where... Wow. It was about that lake in Austin. Austin. And MoMA is... The Museum of Modern Art. Okay, so you... It's on 53rd. So I had an internship there and then what happened is I was working with Sally Berger and she curated an, an annual series called Documentary Fortnight and it was like up and coming documentary films. It was the coolest gig actually. I was the pre-screener so I would like watch hundreds of documentaries oh in a gosh. month and then like do an initial sort of review of them and then forward on the ones that I thought could be in the Thing, which is perfect what for me. What a great yeah, it was fun. opportunity. <laughs> yeah. And what's Phil doing? You're taking advantage of all these opportunities and what's Phil up to? He was writing his PhD. Well, you know, <laughs> one of the things that happened to me there is when I was in high school, my parents signed off on me not doing year 12 math uh, because for an arts degree, which is, which is what I was going to do, it wasn't a criteria and I could still get the same grades that I need and I just didn't want to do it. Okay. And so in replacement, what I did is I focused on photography in the art department. And I thought when I finished high school, that's what I was going to do. I, I was going to go to art school. I was going to be a yeah. photographer. And then I got to that point and I chickened out uh-huh. <laughs> and I went down this other path. But for our wedding, which was in Greece, right? So we had this Mamma Mia wedding. <laughs> it was more like my big fat Greek but, wedding. Yeah, yes. And so we had like all the village because the village is part of our family. They're all there. And a thing for what Greeks do is often, and people do this, is they'll give you money. We got an amount and we're like, what are we going to do with this money? And Tams was generous enough to invest it in a camera. A film camera, um, something that I'd known. And so when I was at school, I'd learned, you know, how to use a darkroom. I'd learned, you know, all the kinds of things. And so what happened in New York then is I just was starting to go out taking more pictures. And at the time, there was a really strong local blogosphere that was just burgeoning in the East Village. Hmm. And then what happened is the New York Times and the NYU School of Journalism, funny enough, got into this hyper-local journalism project. Wow. And what they were trying to do is how the Times could have an element that feeds off this blogosphere. And so they brought me on seeing my work as one of their star photographers. So cool. And this is a paid position? Well, see, at the start, what they were grappling with is how they would build an infrastructure that didn't have to pay people. Oh, this was no. the... No, but, but look, uh, for me, I, I was doing a PhD on intellectual property rights and digital creation. So for me, it was a great insight into the economies that sit beside this. Sure. But we got to the point where the question was, well, are we going to get paid? So yeah. they did end up paying. Okay. Um, but for me, it was like proof that I could do this uh, again. At the time, you know, I had a... Well, we were 
were also both teaching at the same time. We, we were oh teaching too, but this photographic life came back, and then it's grown in. You know, then you know, it's it's one of these like I hate to do the New York cliche, but you know, if you can do it and you have some basic skill, then it's going to be picked up. Right. And so if I, you can do it there, you can do it anywhere. Uh, I don't yeah. like Something to say like that. that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and um, so that's what I really pushed on when I was there. So yes, I, I was doing my um, uh, research, but that photographic life became not just something that was dormant but a big part of what I was doing and I had exhibitions publications a whole range of stuff which continues on today I do think that we make the most of it the other thing we did badly is that six weeks after getting married Tavis was pregnant you know what I mean it wasn't like, that soon it 13 was weeks soon, whatever but it wasn't that soon like so we were have you married. gotten your PhDs no no no, oh. no. but you got oh. married we got married in June of 2008 and yes. Sophia was born in May of 2009 this is a good PSA you can, you know, you know, I mean, so, so we flew honeymoon back to Australia. Baby. No, no. Yes, I think it is a honeymoon baby. No. That's what they consider it. We flew back to Australia for, uh, I'm going to tell this story. <laughs> so we flew. You'll be sleeping on the couch and you can tell the story. No. He can tell the story, but. This I is medical advice that okay. I give to all. So we flew back to Australia. It's, it's not medical advice. No, don't listen not. to it. It's medical advice, but don't take it seriously as a, as a life, yeah. as yeah. a life skill. Okay. Life. Because my sister was having a baby. And so we were there briefly, then we came back. Okay. And in that period, Tamsin, Tamsin yeah, was I on the pill. I didn't take my pill at the right time. Yes. Okay. Are you married? Yes. Married? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, but it was still too soon for um, us. Because you wanted the degree and you wanted to be a little more solid. Yes, we yes. had planned to finish our Ideally. PhDs, yes. I think. But then, like, yes. I mean, you, it's hard to imagine anything else would have happened now. You yeah. know what? Um, it was what it was, but 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 we were like the oddballs yeah. of our group. Oh, All these, sure. you know what I mean? Like so married cool with a kid. Exactly. And now you're with child. Oh well, no, God. we were never cool and hip. Everyone else around us may have been. I doubt that. Cool no, and hip. No, I don't know if we were cool or hip. You know, one of the things that was great thinking back about is what a great experience Sophia had in those early oh my developmental. So she was. She was a good kid, and she was always with us, whatever we did. Yeah. Uh, no no child stuff or adult, you yeah. know what I mean? So you had a Everyone. camera on one shoulder and a baby on oh, yes. the other. Yes, actually, while we were there, oh. it was Occupy Wall Street. You remember Occupy Wall Street happened no. in 2010? 2010, yeah. 2010 or 2011? Yeah. I am a documenter, right? And so I was like, look, this is a world historical There was a big movement. Movement. We're going, yeah. yeah. It, you know, oh we are the 99%. But I was teaching a class, and there was a group of protesters, a protesters a, a, yeah. moving from the new school, starting at the new school, down to Zuccotti Park. Which is by the World Trade Center. Okay. Um, and... So I was teaching, and then the next thing I see is like, Sophia was literally strapped to Phil's back with the camera on the front, and they're in the protest, and Phil's taking photos. Hilarious. And when, so she must have been, it must have been the end of 2010 or 11, I can't remember now, the time is gone, but she could speak. Because when, when I came home, she was saying, all day, all week, occupy Wall Street. She had remembered the chance. Oh, how funny. It was hilarious. So you just took turns? Taking care of um, Sophia. So we we did take turns. We also lucked upon moving into the perfect apartment right before she was born. Um, across the hallway from us was two other Australians, um, our friends Nada and Greg, who had their son Max 
three months after I had Sophia. And Greg worked for a bank and Nada was working, but it was sort of like flex, Pilates flex, teacher. flexible okay. yeah. work at the time. And so we relied on Nada for a, a lot. lot of <laughs> Sophia care. And It was sort of like friends with kids, you know, yeah, like yeah, friends TV show. Actually, for a while, we had this great setup. They had a camera with a screen. And so it was like a little TV that they carried over to our apartment and we would cook dinner and then they could see Max sleeping. From the other the apartment. the thing worked. And then we would do the same, like the next night Nada would cook dinner. Oh and gosh. we'd go over there with the screen with Sophia on it. It was close. Like it wasn't like yeah. we were leaving a kid in a No like our, It was literally door to door. So like our doors opened onto each other. So we had that. And I think that, especially that first year with Sophia, first year and a half with Sophia, I, if I didn't have Nada, I think I would have, we, if we didn't have her. Yeah. We would have either starved or... Or not fulfilled the aspirations you were trying to achieve. Yeah, yeah. And there would be times where I'd be like, you know, we'd have overlapping things and we couldn't watch Sophia. She actually bought a double stroller so she could take them both both to the park. So it was good. How long are you in New York? We were in New York until Sophia was five, after she was born. So we were there from 2006 until 2014. Did you ever have to submit her for pre-K? And get caught up in she that. was in pre-k she went to pre- she went to a public school pre-k program did you have to apply like you yes. read the books and it's like a, such a rat race for so that? there's different programs so they they have the, that gifted and talented test where they're testing four-year-olds if they're gifted and talented which seems and, and in new york you know like it's yeah. new york so yeah. they're, they're actually they have tutors for four-year-olds for this type of stuff so and we actually knew parents that had tutors for anyway, four-year-old. it was intense and i wasn't going to get into that i just thought testing a four-year-old is not going to help anyone um but the system was kind of like here it's you know what the schools in your area and it's a lottery and you rank them it's the same thing for public schools for public pre-k okay and you know the best school i actually didn't put first because i was like everyone's going to put that first so i put it second and i put the one across the street from us first and she actually got into the the best school which was this one that was second on my list and all the other mothers and fathers when they found out that i actually put it second on the list they were like which (laughs) the east village community school was where Sesame Street came out of. Oh, really? Yeah. How cool. It sounds like an awesome way. It was good. She went to school before that. She had like, there was another great little place across the street from us that she went to from when she was two to four called My Little Village that was literally in a shop front. Like it looked like a store. Yeah. And we used to drop her off there. You don't know where the schools are. No, it was a shop. It looked like a shop. But the people in there were like actual amazing teachers like wow. I think they're the best teachers she ever and had because everyone needs their you know brushes with celebrity sure Cynthia Nixon's child went really? there really Chris Noth the, from well, Sex and the City yeah. his son was at the other school that Sophia How was funny. at and the but most important celebrity was the father of Sophia's best friend then who is the man in the cranberry ads oh, oh. how do you was the cranberry ad Oh, hey, well, I just asked him what he. I just <laughs> asked him what he does. <laughs> What's the cranberry edge? You know the guy's the always ocean spray guy. The guy standing in the ocean spray. Oh, that is so. Funny. <laughs> just stands out in the field. So, um, oh, that's no, funny. she for some reason it must have been the height of Sex and the City. No, no it was just afterwards. I think it was between. Um, but uh, a lot of her friends had parents who were actors for some reason. I don't know why that happened or how that happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It was just a. Um, Thing. I think they kind of blend in in New York a little bit, yeah. celebrities. 
Yeah. Like we had so many celebrity interactions. The CNN guy who was involved in a scandal just walking down Central Park with his mistress. Well, there was one time we were at a cafe and uh, we couldn't find anywhere to sit and Drew Barrymore was like, oh, shit, Sophia can sit here. (laughs) No, she didn't say Sophia. She said, you can sit here with your child. (laughs) Cute little girl. She didn't know Sophia at the time. She probably heard me yelling at her. So how do we get from New York to Champaign? And where are your parents? Mum was appointed Dean of Education about the same time that we came to... New York, and my father is a research professor in education, so they came here. Okay. Uh, they were headhunted to come here. It was like coincidental. We oh, were leaving. Wow. My grandmother did pass away, and so, oh. and because she lived with us, then they saw a new kind of opportunity there too. As we were finishing up my PhD, my mother got. Well, it was her first round of breast cancer. And so firstly, she came and moved in with us. She went to Sloan Kettering. And so it was great. That was in 2012. They came and lived with us while she had chemo and treatment in 2012 in Sophia's room. Yeah. Oh, my God. Lucky we had a two-bedroom. And then so after that happened, and then I had finished, you know, we're in this limbo state where, you know, we couldn't take one-year positions. You know what I mean? Like as international like it's like you gotta have a visa you gotta have a work visa you gotta have a whole range of There's things a, there was multiple things happening like a lot of our friends who had finished their phd were taking like a one-year teaching position somewhere and then moving one year somewhere else but as you said as internationals we can't do that but then on top of that we're not we can't move with sophia one year somewhere and one year somewhere else yeah and so we had to have a work visa to stay okay. uh, and we uh, didn't want to go back and so so we have a family business which is uh, common ground research networks and so i thought Let's get my H-1B through this process. Okay. You know what I mean? It's work that we are familiar with. Let's come here. Let's bring the family together. Let's support mom. So you did not want to go back. We you did knew not this was going to go be back. your new home, the States. We didn't I, ever really consider going back. No, I will not go back. Yeah, yeah. I don't need to go back. <laughs> I don't understand. I think we'll need another hour for that. <laughs> I mean, to me, there's so much culture and beauty. Yeah. And uh, I must be missing something. Maybe we're missing something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, we could be wrong here. But look, I'll just rather frame it the other way. There were so many opportunities that we find here Mm -hmm. in terms of personal sensibility and a way of approaching the world. I just think we fit better here, you know. You know, Australia is a kind of bureaucratic country. You know, we have a thing called tall poppy syndrome, which is, you know, we don't celebrate people's successes. We kind of, oh, you know, want to... Culturally bring them down. You know what I mean? Um, it's a very wealthy place, uh-huh. you know, like in, uh, like, yes, of, of of course there is inequality, but there is this core kind of economic base, which I think makes it sedentary in some ways in a, mm. in um, things that are based around innovation. But I, again, really the main thing is the positive. It's less than the, what's bad. It's what's positive about sure. where we are. And proximity to Greece, being able to go back and forth yeah. is a big um, And we plus. had already been here f- for... A, l- a while by that point yeah. so it felt like home yeah. it felt like home Sophia yeah. was born in America yeah William was born in Urbana William which we was born in Urbana where in Urbana oh it's Carl, Carl. <laughs> same <laughs> um so then so you come to Champaign-Urbana for the U of I essentially because uh, your mom was employed there yes so because they're here because there's a work opportunity here uh and just because to be close to family yeah. What do you think of Champaign-Urbana? Now or then? Both. You go from New York to Champaign-Urbana, Yes, right? yes. I mean... Yes, I like it. From Sophia's perspective, she was 
confused by lots of the nature and things like that but she quickly warmed up to things yeah yeah the dogs pee on the sidewalk there they do shocked when we first moved into our house she wouldn't go upstairs by herself because she was like expecting us to be in a room close to her but she quickly got over that there's so much about you know firstly where it's placed you know i mean to Mm. be central to so many cities Mm -hmm. you know it's not you know i don't look to chicago as much i look to you know st louis or indy or even cincinnati or you know like go west kansas city there's so much that you can you know be close enough to regional cities or larger cities that you get that taste of what you need sure i think a big part that is just the fundamental truth about life is that when your basic cost of livings are lower Mm -hmm. you can do more creative thing yeah you know what i mean and i think that's what makes champagne a really unique place you know the university community adds a lot to what we're doing there is a vibrant business community and just the way of life you know being five minutes from everywhere yeah all these Especially pieces put live, together yeah. all, all these um when we first moved here i remember we used to be early for everything <laughs> yeah, yeah but going anywhere in new york is a I told Andrew, if going to Home Depot would be a day event. Yes. Oh, yeah, no, when we had to go to Ikea, remember? It was a whole, yeah. it was a day event. Yeah. And it was really stressful. Yeah. And all that overhead. To be honest, I don't think I could live in a city again. Wow. The other part is that you can get out easy. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like from Champagne Airport, oh, sure. one hop and you can be anywhere in the world. You know, you can drive um, anywhere easily. You know, because O'Hare is such a big hub to the yeah. world, you are so close to one stop to anywhere. You know, in just a point of comparison, you think about getting out to Kennedy is a hundred bucks and it takes an hour. Yeah. And then all the big or roll that the goes with it. Or something and it yeah. takes three hours. But I also think there are, you know, there are opportunities here for people who want to get out and do something, you know, and. What do you guys do for a living? That's a very good question. The million dollar question. Yeah, yeah. So um, we both work for Common Ground Research Networks. Okay. So Common Ground Research Network. And this is your family business. Correct. I didn't realize you work in the same field. Now we do. (laughs) We work at the same table. (laughs) Yeah. um, So when Tamsin finished her PhD, which is a few years ago, she came on board with us. We are a not-for-profit that does multiple things. So uh, we run 24 research networks so Mm -hmm. just think professional association in disciplinary areas so the arts design humanities each of those associations has an annual conference a academic journal and a book series we also build the software that runs that infrastructure so we not only are interested in the topics that these research groups talk about and the publication outcomes but we think deeply about what are the tools that facilitate that process how can you improve them and also, you know, we call this the industry is scholarly communication. So in okay. the media landscape, academic work, you know, kind of fits in this space. And we try and think of it as where does it fit in the broader ecosystem of communication in general? Okay. How does academic research interface with public discourse, with, you know, the things that we find on the internet, you know, uh, um, uh, where, where do these things come together? But in practicality, it means we have 24 conferences each year that are all over the world, which we, you know, uh, work at and, and you host. run or host? Both. So we usually have a local host who's like a university partner because we always try to run them at universities, but then we, we run and host them yeah. as we go on site. And 
you two together. Well, this is, look, <laughs> This look, is the pandemic sto- part truth of the story. The truth of it is that three years ago we had 30 staff. Uh-huh. Uh, when COVID came to us, we had 30 staff. We uh, had a large office in the research park. Um, we had just come out of our best year on history and running conferences all over the world, oh, as yeah. you would assume, is tough business right now. So, uh, you know, part of when Tamsin came on board, because I'm on the road a lot, is I thought, well, that's great. We are going to have an, the anchor at the office sure. making sure that things run well and that I'm out there trying to, you know, sell bread. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but then we're now down to 10 staff. Wow. Uh, and so we, and what that means, if you've ever run your own business, is that you're doing the extra work. Yeah. We have found a way through it all. You know, th- this is not all no, doom and the, gloom. In but the meantime, we sort of uh, completely, Phil, we re- completely redesigned the software. So we now run really great online conferences and, the, and our in-person ones are also integrated in a blended way so that the online component is sort of seamless with what's happening yeah. in person as well. Yeah, but, you know, it, it's not been a fun no. few years. So uh, layering that on love and children yeah. and everything i can sure. tell you it's it. day in and day out you're yeah. working at your home yeah side by side yeah. well so different yes, rooms. we we actively be, are in different rooms on purpose but we have a desk in the spare room um but my mom's visiting at the moment so mom's in the spare room so right now we're at the same table working together on something no, we kind of have like divided. We kind of have divided tasks, but most of the things wow. I'm a big like checker, so I'll often be like walk in the other room and say, "Phil, can you just read this and see if it makes sense, or can you look at this and look at these numbers?" Or we have different departments. Okay. So, so we still keep that structure. There's conferencing. There is journals. There is books. We also have 13 Spanish language research networks too. So we have a team based in Spain and we have the software team, which is in India. And so Tamsin... Like I don't meet with the software team in India. Yeah, so Tamsin really covers the conferencing, English and Spanish, uh, and the journals and publishing uh, and the software side that I've covered. But, you know, it's these are all integrated because the research network is the umbrella. So what happens at the conference feeds into the journals, into the books, and, sure. and the people overlap. You know, each of these has a chair and an editor and advisory boards. Advisory boards so. Is there any way you can give me like a real-life example of what I'm learning at the conference in a real simple way. Last week, uh, we had a conference in Philadelphia at Moore College of Art and Design, which is a women's college, and it's our Inclusive Museums Research Network. And the theme of that conference was... Rethinking the museum. And so we had the top people in the field in this country. We had Dr. Lonnie Lonnie Bunch, Bunch. who's the head of the Smithsonian. But we also had people that were working for smaller galleries and institutions where they come and present what they're doing in their applied museums to make them more inclusive. One of the big things that we do is that we want to bring researchers in contact with people that practice things. Okay. Uh, And so if I'm a researcher, I'm then showing the work that I may be doing, you know, uh, as a research basis, or I'm from a gallery or a museum and you are presenting about a project that you have. And the kind of point of it is that they can learn, they can grow, they can do better work, they can build professional relationships. Learning from each other. Correct. And then we have a journal and a book series that's another way to try and to produce things out of it what we did during the pandemic is that we have all of our presenters now you know we have this 
conference website and they all have a presenter page and we get everybody to upload whether they're presenting online or in person yeah digital content so video cad files whatever it is so then that then becomes a resource for them to be able to come back to to talk to so really the uh, point of it is that we try and frame sets of conversations uh-huh. uh, around this practitioner and researcher whatever the field is okay uh, how can they talk to each other and these conversations happen at conferences in journals yeah sort of in online spaces as yeah. well. And so we are predominantly in the arts and design and humanities. Like I said before, we don't do anything in the sciences. The closest thing we do in the sciences is a food studies research network. Um, but again, that's more the kind of cultural and environmental mm-hmm. implications of uh, foods. Do you like working together? Yes and no. <laughs> you used to be in an office environment, so there was yes. a little bit of separation. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we had different spaces. I like working at home and I don't know if you're a home worker. One of the challenges that, you know, you know, power is a real thing. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like power in a working relationship. Who's the boss? Well, it's, it's even subtler than that. That's an easy question. I mean, but like power, responsibility. And I know that I, you know, am a pack horse and I just talk at people in a certain way. Yeah, it's just different how you talk to people. Yeah. And it's your wife. I mean, your wife, your coworker. Yes, yeah. yes. I think we do okay at it though. Sometimes I flip out at you. (laughs) And do you sleep ever? Because you're like the first person to like a post. He doesn't sleep. I I wouldn't, like you're an early riser? He's a night owl. He's a night owl early riser. He's both. I'm the opposite. I'm like, whoop, 9 (laughs) p.m. I'm like 9.05, way past my bedtime. Yes, and I'm a good social media friend, generally. Yeah, yeah. yeah, You know what I mean? I I think that's an important thing. That's nice. He believes in support. I think that's very nice. So your job sounds technical, I believe. We're almost done. So I'll wrap it up. But you guys love photography and art. So is that something that you do for fun? Uh, Yes and no. Like I I will go back to what I said at the start is that, you know, I've always said in my own head, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Yeah. And I do believe in the essence of everything that even my approach to the world is I'm a photographer. Yeah. You know, right. and I have a day job, uh, which is a great day job. And I'm really interested in all those sure. things. And so during the pandemic, we also started because we were so lots of spare time is that we uh, started another little publishing venture, which is this oh, wow. immaterial, immaterial books, books. Okay. which is what we're doing through our own, you know, to push purely artistic projects. Some of the ones that we're doing personally, but with other people, we are thinking about evolving the Prairie Glass House into building maybe a gallery space out there too. So, you know, one of the things is that, you know, what's the pandemic taught you, you know, that you have, sometimes you don't have any control about what life will throw at you and you just got to have a positive attitude and get to it. And be able to pivot. And it sounds like you guys have. Well, and also do the things that you want to do in life. You know, there are the hours there, you know, they exist. You know, each time you think, oh, I uh, can't do this. Well, think about the times you spent two hours watching TV. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So, and I think that's a really important thing. And, and, you know, it's kind of the foundation of who we are and it's another chance to bring community, you know, we've met a lot of people through doing it as well. Like a lot of local people around town that we hadn't met before. We've been here for like six years now. Yeah. Yeah. Your mom's visiting, you mentioned. She is. 
Is this the first time you've seen her? Since 2019. Are you kidding me? Yeah. She's here for three weeks. Before the pandemic, she used to come every year for Sophia's birthday, which right. is May the 9th. And so, yeah, this is the first time she's been here. Have you seen her sister? No, I haven't seen my sister. Oh, well, I have seen her on Zoom. Um, the last time, we were talking about this with mum the other day, and I didn't realize it had been so long. So I haven't seen Kaya since... December of 2016. Wow. Yeah. Will you see her soon? Um, yeah, my mom's turning 70 in December. So we're planning a trip then. Well, you guys, I know we got to go. Anything you want to plug? Your Instagrams? You. Oh, thanks. But you take we have great, a great pictures neighbor. <laughs> on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, you know what? Phil does. Uh, I just like, I get up at 5 a.m. and like No, the, the only thing I want to plug is uh, go out there and get it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, Love it's it. good that you're doing this. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, We're you're impressed. inspiring. Well done. Thank you. Well make, done. make things. What were we saying the other day? Be a maker. Be a maker. Not yeah. just a do something. Well, thank you so much. I've kept you too long, but I could just keep going. So I got to cut myself off eventually. Thank you. Thanks Bye. for listening. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. However your podcast host of choice allows, please positively rate, review, comment, and give all the stars. Don't forget to follow, subscribe, share, and ring that notification bell so you know when the next episode drops. Also, search and follow HyperLocalCU on all social media. If I forgot anything or you need me, visit my website at HyperLocalCU.com. Bye!